on second thought, I'm going to move this down because I could see myself sending my laptop flying while preaching. So we don't want that to happen. Oh, good morning. While I'm not going to talk directly about this or directly about the passages that Nate shared, I think they are excellent context and background for what I do want to talk about today. Um, I do want just to ask you a question. I'd like you to answer this in your mind. Uh, not going to ask you to answer this out loud. But when you think about somebody who is financially successful, or when you think of the concept of financial success, what comes to mind? So when you think about financial success, what does that look like in your mind? What I'm curious about is how many thought of an amount. So somebody who, you know, X maybe is financially successful. Or did you think about the concept of the gap between somebody's expenses and their income? And if that gap is big enough, they're probably financially successful. Did you think about the amount of work somebody has, how much time it takes them to earn a living? Now let me ask you, when you think about somebody who is biblically financially successful, does a different picture come to mind? Somebody who is biblically financially successful, is that a different picture? And I want to say that often it is, unfortunately, it looks different. And the good news today is that biblical financial success comes down to one concept, and that is faithfulness. And that is both incredibly convicting, but also freeing, that it is not about the things that typically come to mind when we think about um, financial success. So for whatever reason, uh, I've been thinking about the concept of stewarding our money and our possessions and what we have, and I found it fascinating that Nate was also thinking about stewardship, but talking about time. And so again, let's keep this in mind as we think a bit about, um, about managing our money and the things that God gives us. Uh, so I've entitled it Money, Small Choices, Eternal Impact. Um, and if you would, just turn to Luke 16. I've been reading through the book of Luke. That's uh, part of the reason I'm thinking about this, and we're going to basically be looking at uh, part of Luke 16. And I want to tell you a story, a parable that Jesus told. And I will say up front, this parable is hard to understand. And even Jesus' explanation of it is a bit hard to understand. And in fact, of all the parables that Jesus told, this one probably bothers people the most. And people try awfully hard to try to explain it instead of just taking it for what it is. And one thing I'll say is we just to keep in mind when we read a parable, it is a story to make one point. It's a story to make a single point. It's not an allegory where you figure out how all of the pieces come together. And so let's just enjoy the story and listen for the one point and leave it at that. And then uh, we'll, Jesus does give more teaching on the topic uh, after the, the parable. So we're in Luke 16, uh, verse 1. And I'll just put the text up here, but I want to just tell you the story. So in this setting, we have a very wealthy man who hires a manager to take care of his stuff. And this was actually pretty common in those days where maybe somebody, the, the wealthy person didn't live there, but they hired somebody who would live on their estate or their farm, 
and they would just take care of and totally manage the operations. And so this person had the authority to speak on behalf of the owner and could conduct business and just, he, they would really run the place. So there's a rich man that had a manager and some charges were brought, brought to him that the man was wasting his possessions. One thing just to know about these con the context of this is this is right after the story of the prodigal son. And so the words for wasting his possessions are the same of what the prodigal son did. So in that story, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and in this one, he's talking to the disciples. So, all right, very serious charges. If you're put in charge of somebody's possessions and you're being accused of wasting them, that's pretty much the worst thing that can be said about you. So he comes to give an account, and he says, look, what do I hear about you? And then an interesting decision, instead of firing him on the spot, he says, okay, put together an account, and then you're going to lose your job. So I, I need to know what happened, but you are going to lose your, lose your job. You cannot be my manager. Well, rightfully so, the manager, uh, this hits the manager hard. What can I do? If the only thing I know how to do is to take care of people's stuff, and it's proven that I'm unfaithful at doing that, who's going to ever hire me? He is completely, he's up a creek. And he says, I know I'm going to lose my job, and I don't know, I'm not strong enough to dig. So I'm not, manual labor just really is not going to do it for me. And I'm too proud to beg. So what in the world am I going to do? He knows he's losing his job, so he concocts a plan. And he says, aha, I've decided what to do. And what he's thinking about is, I know I'm losing my job. I want people to take care of me after this because I'm about to lose everything. And honor was big in their society. If you did a favor for somebody, you would be expected to have that person to do something back. So he, came, he concocted his plan. So there were people who owed his master money, and we don't know how this happened. It could have been that he had a giant farm and they rented out property. Somehow people owed him money. And so he says, all right, come, quick, 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 let's go. Uh, the first one comes, if you owe me 100 measures of oil, take your bill and... I got a deal for you today, hurry, hurry, write 50. Isn't this often how crooked deals go? Come on, come on, let's go, let's go. We got to go quick. So, uh, okay, he writes 50, and we don't know exactly how much this is worth, but this is a lot of money. Think in terms of a year to three years of labor, and in some cases, it would have taken up to almost 10 years to produce this amount of things. So he said, okay, I got a deal, write it, write it down to 50. And he calls the next guy in, what do you owe? And it's 100 measures of wheat. Okay, today only, hurry, write 80, you're good to go. And out the door they go, and he, he reduces their debt. So then, and here is where, here's where the shock comes in in the story. The master actually commends this manager that he fires for his shrewdness. And Jesus does too. So here's where we can't get lost. Jesus is not saying that everything that this man did is right. But again, listen to the one point of the story. So the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. What does that mean? I think if we, if we just think a bit about when it comes to, to financial, getting what you need or what you want and you look around at unbelievers, look at the amount of energy and scheming and thought that goes into trying to take care of themselves. 
it, it can almost consume people. And so Jesus is saying that the unbelievers put a lot of thought in that. I, um, I read a story this week that was sad and fascinating. There's a 19-year-old man in Georgia who worked for Kroger. And the person who was supposed to be watching transactions was off on vacation or something. So this man, in two weeks' time, he, did, he made fake returns. So he acted like people were returning items and he would load money back on his credit card. And in two weeks' time, he took $980,000. Now, needless to say, he is now in jail and that money is gone. But you want to talk about shrewdness and, and just energy and trying to get what you need and, and trying to make sure that you're taken care of. So Jesus says the sons of light or the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And now Jesus will give us the main point of the story. Here's the one point. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now, does that verse also leave you with questions? It sure does me. But the instruction is very clear that we are to make friends uh, for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. One thing, just for clarity, when it says unrighteous wealth, he is not talking about wealth gained in an unrighteous way. He's saying that wealth can tend to lead to unrighteousness. So what is, what is our instruction here? So we're told to make friends. And, I, and again, you know, thinking about this story, here's a man who understood he was going to lose his job and he had a limited time to take care of his future. And I think Jesus is saying, as believers, we have limited time in eternity, I mean, in, in this world, where we make choices with our money that actually impact us for eternity. We have a limited time to make those choices. And so we're to make friends. And I would take this to mean we're just, we're to live generously to use our money to invest in people any way we can. Um, and it is, uh, so we're, we're to invest in people, to use it to make friends. And I would say for the sake of the gospel, because it talks about that when, we, when in eternity they may welcome us into their, into their dwelling. And so if we, if we choose to use our money to make friends and to invest in people, it does show that we're living for eternity and that we are trusting God to meet our needs. And we're trusting God with, um, for the rewards that he will give in eternity. And I don't know how all of this looks. The whole part of receiving you into their dwelling, I don't know what that means, but it could possibly mean that as we follow Christ and people come to know him or we bless other people, throughout all of eternity, there will be times that People will invite us into whatever we're dwelling in in heaven. And there can be back and forth. And so I think sometimes we can imagine eternity as just being somewhat disconnected from our everyday life. And somehow there is a direct line between what we do, even with our money, that will literally impact eternity and, and what happens in eternity. So, and a lot of people may look at this and say it's figurative. Um, that could be, I would tend to say it probably is actual, somehow literal, that people that we bless with our money may invite us, uh, in, in heaven we may get to, to relate to each other. So, 
I'm just talking about anything that we do with our money that is a kingdom pursuit and investing in others um, is a way of making friends um, for yourself with the money that you have now. So just thinking more about this, one of the things I want us to know is that our money does impact eternity. And the point of the parable is to think ahead, to think towards eternity. So how I handle my money today does have eternal implications. And it's pretty clear that Jesus wants us to invest in eternal and things that bring eternal reward and um, a heavenly treasure. So money is not negative. Actually, Jesus says it's a, it's a powerful tool um, that we are to use to invest um, in a heavenly treasure. I want to just read a few more verses out of Luke that talk about this concept of what does it look like to invest in a heavenly treasure. This is out of Luke 12. Um, and again, the context for all of this is where Jesus is saying, you don't need to worry about tomorrow. I'm going to take care of you. And then he tells us this in Luke 12. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." So God is, God is very concerned that our money is invested in a place that is safe and that brings returns. And he says the way to do that is investing in eternity. And if, if we do that, um, it will, your money bag will not grow old and, the, and your treasure won't fail. And the word for fail is so interesting. It's, it's the idea of, of something that just doesn't run out. So if you can literally picture a money bag that even if you take out of it, it doesn't actually go down. So somehow, some way, when we are faithful to the Lord, the re- reward that we will get in heaven is a treasure that won't, uh, won't be used up. So we are to invest in heavenly treasure. And Jesus is concerned that as Christians, we will handle our money in such a way that we will receive future benefit. And he uses how hard non-Christians work to make money as an example to say, as believers, should you not think even more about an eternal reward and to live that way? So what if this idea of using our money to make friends for the sake of the gospel, what if that really, really captured our attention as a church and we thought about ways, how can we use our money to make friends for the sake of the gospel? And what if this idea that money that is handled faithfully is actually invested in heaven with the reward, what if that really, really gripped my heart? Would it change how I live? That how I handle my money today affects eternity. All right, so let's go on. Jesus actually does give us some some teaching now and follow-up to the parable. And I want to look at the next couple of verses and, and the principles that Jesus identifies here in follow-up to the parable. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. And when we're talking about the word faithful, it just means that they're trustworthy. That if, if I was to give you something to take care of for me, 
would you do, would you put it to the use that I intended when I gave it to you? Can I trust you? So that's what the word faithful means, and then dishonest is, is living wickedly or not living that out. So God is primarily concerned with our faithfulness when it comes to handling money. Um, in 1 Corinthians 4, it talks about what's required of a steward. So when we think about how we handle money, we are a steward of God's money. And he says, verse 2 here, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So above all, if you are a manager or a steward, the core issue is, are you faithful? So just looking uh, again at, at verse 10, honesty is a matter of character. Honesty is a matter of character. And it doesn't matter whether we're managing a lot or a little. Jesus says that if you're going to, the decisions that you make with a little are actually the same that you would make with a lot. And that it just, it, our character is revealed by how we handle money. So money and possessions simply reveal our character. I had to think about, uh, about this verse when we, Nicole and I got to travel to Bulgaria twice. And before going, we got to be friends with a lady that grew up in Bulgaria. And she had such an interesting concept on this. She's like, you know what? When you go, you have to be careful because everybody will try to swindle you out of money. But she said, everybody tries to cheat you out of a little, and that's okay, but they try not to cross the line out of too much. And so she said, just, like, just watch your bills and expect that you're going to be swindled a little, but then if it's a lot, try to make a deal out of it. But if it's a little, don't worry about it because everybody does that to get by. And then she went on to say, you know, and if you, she was talking about a construction project, and she just laughed. She's like, you know what, in Bulgaria, this would not be done well because the contractor would bid to the government get the money, and then they would bid extra money, and then they would buy cheap product and keep the extra. But it's okay, because everybody does it, and you just don't do too much. You can't cross the line. And it just, you know, you get there, and you see that environment, and just see how that literally dishonesty in little things is a big thing. And it just literally kind of ruins everything. So faithfulness in big or little, is a big deal, and that is what God is watching for. It's easy to think that I would be generous if I had X. I would be content if my bank account was X. And I think Jesus is saying the core issue here is not about amounts. It's about faithfulness, and the amount really doesn't change our heart and what's required of us. One of the things that I actually like about this is Jesus calls money a very little thing. And I don't know if you're like me. Money doesn't feel like a little thing. It feels big. There's a lot of worry and stress that can go into this, a lot of conversations. But again, if we put it in the scope of eternity and what Nate was saying about the power of God, money is a little thing to God in the sense of, of what he has to give to us. But it's a very big thing what we do with it. Um, Hudson Taylor said this, small things are small things, but faithfulness with a small thing is a big thing. I'll read that again from Hudson Taylor. Small things are small things, but faithfulness with a small thing is a big thing. So our character is revealed in how we handle money regardless of, this, of this, the amount. 
Then Jesus goes on, If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? And the principle I see here is that money and how we handle it does have a direct impact on our relationship with God and with the opportunities that God gives us um, in his kingdom. How we handle money impacts our relationship with God. There's a quote from Randy Alcorn. There is a powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition and our attitudes and actions concerning money and possessions. So there is a direct line um, between our spiritual condition and how we relate to money and possessions. So I don't know what all is meant by if we're unfaithful in handling wealth, who's going to entrust true riches? I, I do think of that in terms of, of ministry and, and spiritual opportunities, that somehow faithfulness in even a little will give opportunity to serve, and unfaithfulness will take opportunity away. And so it is a, it is a big issue how we handle our money. God is saying, if you're not righteous in this, how, who will entrust true riches to you? Then in verse 12, and if you've not been faithful in that which is another, who will give you that which is your own? So one of the things that I think we have to keep in mind here is that anything that I have, whether it's money or stuff, it's actually God's. That God actually owns everything. And I think one of the things that I have to watch is I can have the attitude of, well, this 10% over here that I'm tithing, this is God's, and then somehow this 90% is mine. And it actually is all God's. And one thing just to think about, and we might talk more about this in future sermons, is the tithe is not commanded in the New Testament, and neither is it spoken against. And so I think sometimes we just kind of box in giving, into a 10% box, and I'm not sure if it's intended to, but that can be a topic for another time. But I think the thing to watch here is to realize that everything is God's. Psalm 50 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. And we can take great comfort in this. This is the God that promises to meet our needs. And this is the God that says, anything I give you, I want you to take care of for me. In Haggai 2, he says, And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Then he goes on to say, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be, de be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus is saying all Christians have a either-or choice. There is no and option. And this is so, in my life, this is so easy to feel like, is it really that in either-or? Can't there be some kind of and? But Jesus clearly states you can't serve too money, you're too two masters, either you love one and hate the other. And in the context, um, I think we need to substitute the word servant for slave, and then it makes a lot more sense. A slave was somebody who was purchased by, by the master and had a specific job to do. And that's the context here. 
you can't, you literally can't be two people's slaves. That would not go anywhere. And so Jesus is saying that we cannot um, serve more than one master. He says, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. He talks about this in the parable of the sower, that money and the deceitfulness of riches will eventually choke out the word from being fruitful. One that I found fascinating, if there's anybody that could speak to trying to serve God and money, it would be Solomon. And he, say, he says this in Ecclesiastes 5.10, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth is income. This is also vanity. It is literally, a, it, it never works to chase money. It never, ever, ever satisfies. And so you can't serve um, God and money. So after all of this, I'm just, I'm just challenging us and encouraging us today. When it comes to our money, let's think, try to think with the eternal perspective. Let's try to think about the concept of stewarding somebody else's money and doing so faithfully um, and having the idea that we're pilgrims. We're literally only here for a little bit of time. And the decisions that we make uh, impact eternity. So this week, I had the opportunity to, to come kind of face-to-face with some of my money mismanagement from when I was younger. Um, I loved, uh, when I was growing up, I loved football cards and collecting sports cards. And when my mom would take our neighbor shopping and she would buy me a pack of football cards, I was so happy. I could open it up. I could chew the piece of bubble gum. I could save the football cards. I could sort them and store them. Mom and dad were not big fans of them, understandably. Um, but I, over the years, I, I started collecting these things. And after I got a job, I got even more into it and got into collecting basketball cards and just way too many cards and way too much money on these things. But was pretty convinced that I had some valuable cards and someday in my future, I would probably sell these things and I would profit greatly. And the, these visions did not come to pass and these cards lived under our bed. And it got to the point where I actually would be happier having the space than I would be having these cards. So. I sold some, I don't know, was it 20 or 30 bucks out of a whole big old box of these. And then I spent time and I shipped these cards out to a company on the West Coast who runs an auction and I'm gonna sell about 80 cards on the internet. And if all goes really well, really well, I might have about $200 coming my direction. And I will tell you that I probably invested 10 times that into buying these things and collecting them. And, you know, and it may be small in some ways, but yet it's not. You know, I look back on that era of my life from about 17 to 25, where I had an income and little expenses, and just think, wow, there was not a lot of thought and not a lot of faithfulness into how I handled my money. So just thinking a bit more about the whole concept of not being able to serve God and money. Um, I tend to think a bit in charts like this. And so as I was reading, I just started making lists of how does the world look at this and how does God look at this? And this is not, there's a lot more you could add. Um, These are just things that came to mind. But I want to encourage us as we look at being faithful, we have to realize that what we hear and read and see 
is going to be opposed to what God's Word says. And I'm just identifying some of these ways. The world will tell you to seek the things you need first, and God says to seek God and His kingdom first. The world will tell you to acquire things. That's the point of income. And I would, I would submit to you that God says actually simplify, because everything you own takes your time. Everything you own takes your time and your money, and it is something to worry about. The world will tell you to consume, and God will tell you that contentment is the answer. The world will say it's mine, and God says it's actually mine. What I have belongs to God. The world says I earned it. Look, I worked 40 hours last week for this, and God said actually I provided that. The world says it's all about net worth. How much are you worth? And God says success comes down to faithfulness. Faithfulness. Did you do what I intended for you to do with your money? And I want to be clear, it's not just about giving money away. God gives us the money we need to meet our needs. And if we do that faithfully, that is a big deal in God's kingdom. The world will say it's mind and joy, and God says it's actually to meet needs either for you or for other people. Another thing I want to be clear about is that God does give us good things to enjoy. He tells us that in Timothy. So it's not that we can't enjoy things. But in general, our money is to meet needs. The world will tell you to worry about the future, and God's view is to seek Him first and to let Him take care of the future. The world will tell you that your money can provide you a good life. Your money can provide you a good life. Isn't that basically the American dream? Get enough to have a good life. And God says, actually, your money can impact eternity. You can choose to enjoy it here, but how short-sighted in the scheme of things. The world will tell you that you want to be rich and that will motivate you and God tells you to flee the love of money. The world will tell you that you can get rich quick and God values working diligently over the long haul. So these are just ways that I have to reorient myself when it comes to being faithful in money is just realizing how much of, of this is out there. Uh, then to end this passage, and this is where we're going to stop, uh, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard this, and they ridiculed him. They just said, no way. And, and they ridiculed him because this was so opposed to how they viewed their money. And then God goes on to say, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And I believe that particularly when it relates to our money, we need to be careful about this, that often what is exalted among men is not honoring to God. And then, we're not going to go into this, but the story of uh, the rich man and Lazarus ends out this passage in this, this teaching on money. I want to give you, uh, real quick, I guess, I want to try to be practical about this um, before I wrap up. Three things that I believe that all of us should do with our money if we want to be faithful to it. And that is, one, answer the question of where am I at today? And just, you know, write everything down. Make a list, a financial statement of where are you at today. Uh, this is one that is hard work. But I will tell you,
is the cumulative impact of our choices. How are they, how are they impacting things? The other, the next question I'd encourage you to answer is where is my money going? An expense tracker. Um, I would just encourage you whether you have a tight budget or don't even need to budget, tracking your expenses is one way to be faithful. Um, the saying goes, if you want to improve any area of your life, track it. And I believe that is true. And this is, this is a painful one. And then the third question is, where do I want my money to go? And that is living off of a budget. And again, I will say that my initial attitude to money for the first, you know, eight years or so of working was, you know, money is probably for people, or budgeting is just for people who are barely scraping by. I don't want to worry about money. And honestly, it was just an excuse, and I was really lazy about managing my money. And so I would just encourage you, even if money isn't tight, live off of a budget. It is one way to be faithful. So where am I at today? Where's my money going? Where do I want my money to go? Those things are worthwhile to do. All right, uh, coming back to the passage and just identifying the, the principles again. So money, small choices, eternal impact. What I hear Jesus saying is to use your money generously, to invest in heavenly treasure. That faithfulness is our primary goal, that the decisions will reveal our spiritual condition, that all I have is actually God's for me to steward, and that we cannot serve more than one master. And those are the things that I want to, to live out and encourage you to live today. I do want to just talk um, here at the end about you know, something that Jesus highlights faithfulness. And I think if we're honest, probably all of us here would either look at where we're at right now or where we've been and, and feel some level of conviction about how we've used money. And, and I just want to encourage you that God will meet us where we are and that he will, I mean, God does give grace for where we've been and that he's much more concerned about where we go than where we've been. And so as you hear these warnings about the connection between money and eternity and money and, and ministry, we have to take that very serious. But God, at the point that we respond and repent, God forgives that and, and he honors as we walk forward in faithfulness. So if you're here and you're feeling convicted, I want to encourage you in that. And I know we're in all different situations of life. And there's probably people here who have lived this and maybe are feeling, wow, you know, there's not much left to take care of me. And is there enough? And I want to encourage you that God sees faithfulness and he will meet your needs. And that what you have done will impact eternity. And maybe there's others here who just realize that maybe I need to just take how I handle my money more seriously. And I want to encourage you in that. Um, talk to people. I would love to connect with you. Others at church would love to connect with you. There are so many good resources out there. I'll mention a couple. Um, Randy Alcorn has phenomenal books. Um, money, Possessions, and Eternity. This is the Law of Rewards. Crown Financial has a lot of great material. This is Howard Dayton, Larry Burkett. Um, and then Gary Miller writes a lot of really good and very practical books on handling money God's way and kingdom finances. So, All right. Um, just want to encourage you as you go out and spend your money this week, it is an act of worship and uh, a chance to be faithful. So, 
Thank you very much for your for listening. Um, let's just stand, and I want to ask God's blessing on us and as we go from here. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for who you are. God, I want to thank you, first of all, that you are you're our Father, you care for us, and you promise to meet our needs, and God, uh, we want to rest in that. Lord, beyond that, we want to take it seriously when you say that how we manage our money is a direct reflection of, of our relationship with you. And so, God, I pray for each of us here um, that you would just somehow help us to look at money from your perspective. And Lord, help us this week to live faithfully. We all are in very different situations. And uh, I just pray that as we manage our money that, that we could be faithful and that you would be honored and that it would be um, just somehow that we could, our faith in you could be strengthened and that each of us here would, would manage our money in a way that impacts eternity. And, and Lord, we somehow trust you that what we choose does impact eternity. And thank you for that. Uh, and we, we just want to live expectantly on that front. And um, we love you, commit ourselves to you. Uh, please direct us in Jesus' name. Amen.